Welcome to the Industrial Talk Podcast with Scott McKenzie. Scott is a passionate industry professional dedicated to transferring cutting-edge, industry-focused innovations and trends while highlighting the men and women who keep the world moving. So put on your hard hat, grab your work boots, and let's go. All right. Thank you very much for joining Industrial Talk, and thank you for your continued support of a platform that celebrates industry professionals all around the world. You are bold, brave, you dare greatly, you're changing lives, and you are changing the world. Industry is happening fast and you've joined a platform that tries to keep up with all of the men and women in industry. In the hot seat, his name is Nikunj Meta. That's N-I-K-U-N-J Meta. And we're talking AI. That is a that is a buzzword for today. That's for doggone sure. And how are we taking that fabulous innovation, that fabulous technology? And helping assets, industrial assets, operate at their optimal condition. That's right there. Falconry. They're doing it. Let's get cracking with the conversation. There's so much happening out in industry. So much. Big time. And it's happening at a pace that is, is so rapid. I it's it's I get excited just because I love the learning. I love the education. I love the ability to be able to have conversations with leaders who are just truly passionate about solving the problems, figuring out how technology and innovation can truly solve the challenges of today's market. And so here's Nakunj, and he, he's got this product and this company called Falconry. And it's taking AI to the next level. And how do you apply it to uh, industry as a whole? Uh, the conversation is just amazing. He does such a great job. There's so much. And I, and I get this feeling inside my heart, inside my mind. I get this feeling that is just the tip of the iceberg. And that goes with all of the technology and industry. Uh, innovations that are taking place today it's it's just i feel it's it's a feeling it's based off of conversations i have but it's a feeling that we're just still at the very beginning where is it going that to me is just an exciting and insightful conversation and and nikunj does a great job and and again tip of the iceberg there's so much more i don't know what it looks like i wish i was younger because I, I don't know. It's you know, we're all timing. It, it's all timing, and and I'm here now, and I have the great opportunity to talk to all of these leaders. A couple of things to put on your calendar. We've got FabTech coming up, and that's going to be in Chicago. That is September 11th through the 14th, and it's a fabulous event. We're going to be broadcasting from that that uh, location, and. Uh, I was in. I was there last year, Atlanta, Georgia, and it's exciting. Once again, it's exciting. If you're not in industry, if you're not engaged in the education and collaboration, and how to leverage the innovation that exists out there, you're going to be left behind because it's happening now. So you got to find individuals that uh, can help you with that journey. We also have 
a couple of uh, on-demand webcasts out there. Go out to industrialtalk.com. One is specific to uh, the utilities, the digitalization of the utilities, uh, conversation with uh, two leaders there, as well as one that is aligned in the PF curve with your supply chain strategy. What does that look like? How do you overlay that? So those are two on-demand uh, webcasts out there, so check them out. All right, let's get on with the conversation. Nikunj, Meta, Falconry, we're talking AI. We've got, you've, you've got to start that education, that journey, and you've got to find individuals that truly have your best interest at heart. Right there, Nikunj. Let's get cracking. Nikunj, welcome to Industrial Talk. Thank you very much for, you're, you're busy, you're a busy guy. You're, you're running around, you're in D.C. now. Thank you very much for uh, finding time in your schedule. I really appreciate that. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you, Scott, for having me on here. And uh, I will say that it's been a terrific year and you know, a very busy summer. So I'm glad to see you in this virtual podcast environment. Well, you know what? You know what it is? It's the fact that I get to live my Discovery Channel dreams, meaning I get to learn from the best. I get to just – it's it's like – it's a dream of mine to just constantly soak up, you know, the insights that are being delivered by leaders like yourself. It, it's, it's pretty cool. I, I'm just the guy that carries the six pack of beer. Like, Hey, how are you? You know, <laughs> very yeah. non-offensive. That's for sure. All right. For the listeners out there, just real briefly, because we're going to go through a really exciting time for Falconry, but for, for the listeners, tell us a little bit about you and your, your background. Sure. Um, you know, I feel like I should start from my childhood because I grew up as the son of a factory worker and specifically to a steel producer. And so I used to go in all the time to look at the control rooms and the furnaces and the mills and so on. Um, and as I was growing up, I realized I was not going to be working in an industrial facility because I was all interested in computers. And, you know, fast forward, I went to USC for my computer science degree. And I later started working in computer software companies, but realized when I was at Oracle that you know, I wanted to do something different. And so I started in the resource intensive industrial space, first at C3. And after three years, I started this company called Falconry. So my journey has been uh, watching the industrial world from a distance and doing everything I could in the computer world. And then eventually realizing that what I had learned and what I liked could actually make a big impact on the industrial world. So that's how it has come together. And as outside regards Falconry. Yeah, outside yeah. of the fact that I like the name Falconry. It's pretty doggone cool. And I do, yeah. I, I remember taking a tour of a still mill. That's that's heat intensive. That is, that's major stuff. But anyway, continue. Hard and I'm hazardous. Sorry. Yeah, hard oh. and hazardous. <laughs> 1200 degree uh, hot slab passing by maybe 15 20 meters behind you it's very hot <laughs> yes yeah. Is. Um, yeah so we have uh, as a company been around for 10 and a half years i started the company in 2012 and we've always been focused on automated and comprehensive analysis of uh, operations data for industrial organizations and what we have learned in the process and what i have learned in the 15 years i've done this is you know we myself included do a terrible job of serving the needs of the industrial economy. We need to do better. 
Just for my understanding, you're sitting there, you're in a computer, then all of a sudden you realized that there's there's something more that can be gained from the data that that's already being pulled. Is that how how did you just come to that conclusion of saying, I wanna I wanna do this? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Actually, um, you can think about this in waves. So you remember the time when perhaps your paycheck was produced by a mainframe computer and the, the payroll providers, you know, people used to go to payroll providers so that they would get accurate paychecks and have no liability issues and so on. Well, guess what? The data was coming from computers the whole time. And yet people did not really know how to interpret this data in ways that the program calculating your paycheck did not understand. That led to financial analytics and the field of business intelligence. So for a long time now, computer scientists and uh, data specialists have known that data usually has more meaning than just the original purpose for which it is created. And what ends up happening is we don't have supplementary mechanisms to make sense of that data. And I knew this about um, the industrial world because before I came over to Falconry and C3, I was at Oracle and Oracle, you know, every source, every form of data and every source of data has probably seen Oracle in its infancy. Um, and I saw that with text and video data and I realized that new types of data or at least new types that attract the attention of computer software makers usually have a lot of unfinished business. And when I first came to time series data that originated in the industrial world, I realized that we could not even store that data well. Forget doing any interpretation of that data. That told me if we cannot even store this data, obviously we haven't exploited the data to its fullest extent. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a tsunami. You can always get the data. You just where do you put it? I mean, it's it's like yeah. it's truly a physical reality. I shove it That's over it. here, but then when you shove it over there, mm -hmm. how do you how do you find the gold in the in in that pile of data? You know that that to me yeah. is. That's a tough one, man. And it's yeah. And Scott, you come from California, and so do I. And shovels, digs, and uh, pans. And that is what the Silicon Valley story probably was preceded by the San Francisco story. Uh, and I thought long and hard about it. And it took us a really long time to figure out what is it that can help us find those nuggets. It's not an easy question to answer. Oh. And for a long time, we looked at ways of combining human knowledge with the industrial automation data. And we kept struggling because human knowledge was so imperfect. In many cases, it was wrong. And it was very hard to overcome the, the bias and the in, in errors and mistakes that were creeping into that data. And so we kept getting bad results from the process. And then realized that, you know, we should just keep human opinion aside. We have to be able to extract gold directly from that data. We should not think about the human knowledge as a prerequisite. And the moment we started doing that, we derived from the same original industrial automation data, very valuable insights that, of course, now people buy as falconry products, uh, but that we had been struggling to make sense of in this conundrum for a long time. That's interesting. That's not, a, that's not an easy pill to swallow. I know, and we will probably have many opportunities to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely, because I, I agree with you 100%. Um, 
but but it has to be that way because I don't I know that I'm biased. I think yeah. I think this this area over here is more important than this area, but then somebody else will think this you just have it. It's just a human condition. Yeah, I just I'm biased. It just is what yeah. it is. I'll tell you one thing. Um, so Donald Rumsfeld used to talk about unknown unknowns. And since then, it has entered the the pantheon of technical jargon that uh, takes everybody's head for a spin. The reality is that the industrial world has so many unknown unknowns, and it has so many distinct problems that if we focus on solving only one particular incident, we'll get almost nowhere with it. And when we realized that there was a better way to go after unknown unknowns is when we found that we could create a lot of benefit for many industrial organizations through that route. And that is where we've been finding a lot of gold nuggets that can make a business viable to offer uh, software to a large number of customers. And so that has been the learning and over these 11 years and we have been servicing for the last uh, year or so. You've seen a lot. That's that's an eternity in the world of what you're in. Eleven years. That's an eternity because you've seen <clears throat> what fascinates me is the speed at which things are changing now. All of a sudden, you know, I use I use AI platforms all the time to come up with some sort of you know paragraph. Mm-hmm. I like it, and I'll adjust it, but I like it, and. You've seen a lot. Take us through just the premise behind falconry today. What, yeah. what are we what are we looking at? Mm-hmm. So falconry has become primarily about surfacing unknown unknowns, known unknowns, and known knowns. If you think about this as simply knowledge, right? Knowledge is what we humans are very good at. Yeah. But we don't have all the knowledge. There's more than we know. So how do we find that which we do not know? As an example, we often start out with some manufacturer recommendations for what speed to run a new piece of equipment at. But we know that we are going to find that it can be run faster or harder than that. It takes us time to figure that kind of a question out. That's sort of a known unknown. We don't know what is the right speed for us to max out at. Likewise, when some problem happens and we don't know what caused it, that's an unknown unknown. If the problem was going to happen and if it was going to happen, what would cause it? What Falconry has become is a software approach to find unknown unknowns and known unknowns. I know it's a little bit too technical, but you can simplify no, no, it as no, known. No. Yeah. So, so how, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm, I'm seeing a platform that sits on top of my, my operations. I'm sort of yeah. Your L two, let's say it sits on yeah. top of L two. That's right. So it's it's looking down, and it's it's processing. And I'm I'm hearing that I'm able to see. I'm I'm just trying to find anomalies. Is that accurate? Yes, that is accurate, because that is where you first start to get a handle on what's going wrong in your plant. And with anomalies that seem to be repeating, now there are patterns of interest. And you want to know when patterns of interest start to emerge before they become a problem. But everything originally starts out as an anomaly. Then there is a recurrence and becomes a pattern. And then there is a way to find a precursor to the pattern. And that is an early warning. 
do you do you have in that that analogy false positives meaning i see that something's happened it, it, <clears throat> i perceive that something is an anomaly i'm going to elevate that anomaly to the attention of something or somebody and then it turns out to be an, another point of learning where the machine just operates that way or whatever yeah. it might be yeah well so i'll give you this answer just like miscalibration or sensors going bad has not prevented us from putting sensors uh -huh. everywhere. False positives are not going to stop us from getting value out of that data either. False positives are fairly well managed in a good AI environment because there's the wisdom of crowds. When you have lots of sensors, they don't all mislead you unless there is a good underlying reason. They may briefly spike up they may tell you that something is not right about it temporarily but for them to persist for them to be severe for there to be a group of such um, sensors to say something is wrong requires that you then look into it and understand what has happened and so we have found that while false positives can create trouble it is one not so prevalent as a lot of people fear and two it doesn't cost as much effort to review something and say doesn't make uh -huh. sense. I cannot do anything about it. It's okay. I understand what it is saying. And yes, it's a reason caused by, for example, I have shut down. I have a new product I'm making. I don't need to do something about it. There's a there's a level of comfort there that I, I mm -hmm. sense. It and it's it's again, I think you brought up a really interesting point, and that is it doesn't really cost much to say, let me look at it. No, that's sort of the normal way it runs. Make the adjustments and, and have that platform continue to be refined and learned and, and continue. And it does. It just continues to sort of hone Yeah, let in. me clarify. And let me yeah. actually add more color to what you said. Yeah. It, it is learning what behaviors arise. And it is learning how to predict behaviors. And in the process, it is incorporating the behavior of anomal the, the anomalous behavior that persists and through that saying okay well this is tolerated behavior so obviously it's no longer to be considered as anomalous it does not require somebody to provide input to say do not treat this as anomalous it does not require somebody to give it a name to say if it is anomalous what is its name it continues to observe and continues to learn about the different ranges of behaviors that can arise that is what it needs to do extremely well from day one. And it does not require human involvement to set it up or to maintain. See, and I, so for me, I can I can be in my OT environment. I'm I'm out in the field, I'm out in the process, I'm out in the manufacturing line, whatever, wherever I'm at, and I'm doing my stuff. I am I am operating from the perspective that I have my CMMS system, I'm I'm performing maintenance, I'm doing what <clears> I normally do. What I hear you saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're going to take that that platform itself and, and make it in such a way that my efforts, me maintenance guy or me operations guy, process guy, whatever it might be, Right. My moves are more efficient. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we've been asked by our customers to provide them reports about where specific observed anomalies arise and send it to them 
Yeah, is a notification as quickly as is possible with data, um, and that people will then look at those findings to decide what they're going to do about it. If it's uh, an anomalous behavior, generally we want an engineer to look at it. But if it's an anomalous behavior that has happened many times before and you have a name for it, then what people want to know is which specific behavior occurred because there is a way to cue their action based on the name of the behavior that just took place. So both behaviors are possible. One that may require an engineer to be involved and another that does not require an engineer and can be carried out by a technician directly. Love it. See, that's pretty, that's exciting stuff. I, I love it. I, 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 I don't, I still think that we're just sort of scratching the surface. You've been in the business for 10 years plus, you know, but I still think that, that we're still scratching the surface. I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Uh, Falconry is, is also a part of now, now IFS. Explain to us that relationship. Where do, where do you yes. see it sort of growing? Yes, so as you know, this is very recent news and uh, Falconry has signed an agreement to be acquired by IFS. Um, it is subject to government approval and it will take us to the end of Q4. But let me tell you what it means. Uh, first of all, Falconry has been serving in the area of production optimization or process optimization. And as part of that, improving reliability, improving availability, and potentially improving quality. Now, all of that is seen as the realm of asset performance management. And as we know, APM is a field that many analysts have written off and have said that it's a category that came and lost its opportunity. No, On the man. other hand, there is enterprise asset management and enterprise asset management companies have created sustainable long-term businesses. And these are companies like IFS, but many others. And for the longest of time, I as an entrepreneur have wondered what are the enterprise asset management companies doing about asset performance management? And you can see most of them have some way of doing an alert based on a rule set up on a meter where some measured value is sent from the factory periodically to the enterprise asset management. Now, <clears throat> the reality is that most people have not been able to uh, make much use of their industrial automation data with that enterprise asset management capability. And EAM companies have always said we are bringing AI or that we are taking more of the SCADA data in to help you improve your operations practices. But the reality is that it's not been easy. They have not really succeeded. So IFS in their um, analysis judged that EAM and APM have to be brought closer together and that AI has to be the primary mechanism to enable that asset performance management. So it's a very logical combination, one that many analysts seem to feel is long overdue and it's entirely logical for it to come together. And that's how I see it for the market and for partners and customers. I see this as a way to provide the level of support that people are looking for to go from SCADA systems to more effective operation systems, including maintenance. All right, <clears throat> you said a lot in that uh, that whole conversation. Enterprise asset management. I didn't realize asset performance management and sort of a a shift in thinking. But I think I think because of that, you, you've you've clarified 
the the enterprise asset management approach is more holistic and global <clears throat> versus the asset performance management, which gets down into more of the, the macro and on that asset itself. So you're able yes. to, you know, go ahead. Yeah, enterprise asset management is about resources and um, it aims to streamline workflows. And in doing so, um, you know, we are trying to minimize inventory of parts, overtime pay, as well as um, uh, the number of people required to service a plant. That's what we're trying to do with an enterprise asset management. But it doesn't really know the right triggers. And that has been the main weakness of enterprise asset management. It doesn't know when. It's dependent on manufacturers. It's dependent on tribal knowledge. It's dependent on break fix. But not really, what is the machine saying? It doesn't really have a way of knowing that. Asset performance management ought to have answered that question, but it just, that's why everybody's been talking about smart manufacturing because APM has been around for 20 years. Why did we need smart manufacturing if APM was effective? So clearly it hasn't done its, its job. Now, when it comes to APM, a lot of the APM techniques of the past were looking at some downsampled rate of information from some key parameters of SCADA and using that to make decisions. And what we are finding is that that's not enough. When the industrial automation system can run 100 values per second in maintaining the, the performance of the production process, but you are looking at it maybe once every five or 15 minutes, then you're missing all the behavior that happens that would tell you why something went wrong. So therefore, APMs cannot answer the question or cannot help you answer the question, why did it happen? And without being able to answer the question, why did it happen? Its own value is in question. Yeah. And that's where AI is being asked to step up and not only answer the question, is something bad about to happen? But answer the question, why does the AI think something bad is about to happen? Yeah. And therefore, guide people to solving those problems so they can avoid those problems. This, this is really an interesting conversation. I have one question do you find let's just be real <coughs> manufacturers want to manufacture yeah. um process people want to process you know do whatever is necessary for process and so on you're introducing something that is not a part of my thinking quite frankly i i've i've done this for so many, but now all of a sudden I've got to rethink and change the way I look at my, my manufacturing. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, how, how do, how do, how do you, how do you approach me? So I sympathize with you. Yeah. I sympathize with you. I understand the difficulty that is inherent in this. And that's one of the big challenges with any field that is undergoing such dramatic change. Um, first of all, nobody has the role description to do what this AI might ask it to do, which is set it up or um, interpret its results or reason about why it did what it did. Nobody has that role, so it's never going to happen. But it's not going to happen while the role is not there. But even otherwise, I think ultimately, this is a top-down and a bottom-up experience in organizations. The top-down is I need to invest in and fund these kinds of big changes 
because it makes such a huge difference to our competitive ability. The bottom up is I already have my hands full. I have a huge quality of life issue already with having to go into dirty hazardous places in the middle of the night with when my brain is scrambled and I have to get production back up because otherwise millions of dollars are at risk. So there are quality of life issues yeah. for the bottom up side and they are, uh, they are not uh, ignorant. They don't want to be roadblocks, but their knowledge and their on the ground presence needs to be exploited in a way that they are able to contribute to the improvement process. We've seen this from both sides. And so what we've learned is that initially people have to create, or people have to be able to trust this kind of an AI. Until that happens, oh, yeah. adoption is not possible. And that yeah. trust requires bottom-up uh, experience. It requires studies. It requires um, providing people with examples from their own world in ways that they can understand so that they know now if I'm going to let the system do some of this work, that I can always understand what it has done. Once that is available, then people are able to sidestep from the constant uh, need to manage an AI system to simply saying, okay, give me the results of the AI and we'll act upon it. But remember that stage cannot arise until there is trust. Unfortunately, a lot of times vendors were asked to go to that stage of providing alerts before trust had been developed. In the process, a lot of time got lost and people may have felt that the uh, CXOs were imposing technology that was not ready for them yet. But what we are seeing now is that there's a lot of interest in the adoption from process engineers and reliability engineers and maintenance supervisors because they know that this is inherently going to improve their quality of life. And what they want to know is, can they trust it? And once they are able to trust it, the change management process is, is as simple as previously, they used to get told by vibration analysts that this particular machinery needs this intervention and here's why. And that, that uh, vibration analyst could be a contractor. It doesn't have, it didn't even need to be an employee. It could be a service provider. Right. In the same way, people are looking at AI as also a service and an AI provider as a service provider who just gives them the alerts. They don't have to understand anything else. And those alerts are also in the same data that they eventually go to look at when there is a problem to try and figure out why it happened. So it's no different for them, except here it is telling them to anticipate that trouble. And if they did not uh, take action, it tells them why it may have happened. I, out of all of that great content or that information and that uh, position, trust. Trust is something that that is so powerful, and and you're right. Yes. Uh, in a, in a past life, uh, I I dealt with trust from a data collection perspective. Do I trust the data? Trust, and and if I did, then life is sort of okay, cool. I can move on. But yes. when it's not there, mm -hmm. that's. That's really good. Mm -hmm. But we're going to have to wrap yeah. this up. I'm mm -hmm. sorry, because <laughs> this is today. a great conversation. <laughs> I, I could talk for hours. I'm not sure if the, the listeners want to hear it for hours, but but I can. I love it. Yes. How does somebody get a hold of you? Now that you've gone through this IFS, Falconry, all of the changes, but I, they want to talk to you. How do they get a hold of you? So, you know, I do try to reach out to people through the Falconry newsletter I write 
most of the content myself. Um, I also have um, made myself available through, um, you know, groups like the Industry 4.0 Club. Um, and while I may not have participated, let's say, in the last 12 months, I've done a lot of work with them for a couple of years. But more interestingly, I think now this is going to give me an opportunity to really mingle with customers as well as uh, users to help them overcome some of the challenges they see in their own journeys. Um, and I'm happy to sort of make myself available. Uh, you can reach me, nikunj at falconry.com. Hopefully that address will still be accessible to people. You can do it through LinkedIn as well. I'm always- LinkedIn, I'm a, I'm a big LinkedIn fan. Absolutely. Big LinkedIn fan. And it's sort of like, oh, all right, cool. Yeah, yeah. Then they get to look at yeah. your profile and all that stuff. You are absolutely fantastic. I really enjoyed this conversation. It's exciting from my perspective. Again, I think it's tip of the iceberg. There's so much more. I'm glad people are like you and are dealing with it just because I think it's an exciting time. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to talk. And I understand that this is a technically very involved area. Um, it'll get easier. I think it's already become a whole lot easier. We're not talking about algorithms and methods. We are talking yeah. about people and trust. That tells you how there has been progress. No, that's major progress. And I think that as as you continue to uh, evolve and progress, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's going to be more powerful, more understandable, because I think that everybody pursues that that userness, I guess. Right. That's that's important. All right. You are absolutely wonderful. Thank all you right. So we're going to have all the contact information out on industrialtalk.com. So fear not. Reach out to... Uh, Nikunj. Did I get that right? Nikunj. Yep. Nikunj. Got it. All right. Stay tuned. We will be right back. You're listening to the Industrial Talk Podcast Network. I'm excited. I'm excited about the future of industry. The reason I'm excited about the future of industry is because you have leaders like Nakunj. You have uh, companies like Falconry uh, just blazing the trail, solving the challenges of today in industry. Uh, it's a bright future. We have to succeed. The way I only know how to succeed is, is to constantly educate because it's happening at a blistering pace and how to collaborate collaborate with leaders so that you're not left behind that's what's important here that's what's at stake so you got to reach out to the coach all the contact information for him is right out on industrial talk we have webcasts we have other podcasts go out to industrial talk find out more reach out to all those people because they want to collaborate be bold be brave dare greatly don't hesitate reach out to Nakunj, and you're going to change the world 